You're listening to a rebroadcast of a live walk talk from Instagram. I'm a Christian author. I've written seven books. All my books are available on Amazon and paperback and Kindle. Check them out if you get some time. We got Texas. We got Denton, Texas, another Texas, Woodstock, Georgia. Hello, India. Awesome. By Grace New Covenant, good morning. Oh, we got India. Awesome. At 732 over there. We got Oakland. Um, I also have a podcast. The name of my podcast is Walk Talks with Matt McMillan. It is available on all of your favorite podcast apps. So be sure to check out my podcast. If you're listening to the podcast, I would appreciate a review. If you would pause the podcast, leave me a review and then come back. Also, if you've read any of my books, please leave me a review on Amazon. I'm also on YouTube. I appreciate everybody who watches on YouTube. I refurbish these onto that platform. So thank you for watching. Um, If you're watching on YouTube, hit the subscribe button. Give me a thumbs up. And if you want to be notified when I release anything new, hit the bell button. Hey, yeah, awesome. That's so awesome. Thanks for letting me know that. Uh, And then we got Philippines, Clarksville. Okay, so um, I'm not a pastor. I'm a regular person just like you. The word pastor is only used once in the epistles, and we don't see any qualifications. We don't see any authorities. We don't see any duties. So the reason why I talk about the word pastor so often, and I'm going to talk about it quite a bit today in regard to seminaries, is because I want to help renew your mind away from man-made tradition and toward the truth of the gospel. There is nobody in charge of you. Pastors aren't in charge of you. That's nowhere to be found in scripture. The reason why you think that is because of what happened a long time ago through man-made tradition. But if we just go even further back to the truth of the gospel, you're going to find out that you don't have to check in with anybody. Even hearing that, it's like, eh, eh, eh. your conscience might be trained in error. So when you hear these free thoughts, it's difficult. But just give me some time. I'm going to help you renew your mind to the truth. And I'm actually going to help you learn how to love those who are finding their identity in this man-made position of pastor. Is the word pastor in scripture? Yes, it's in in the scriptures, but it's not a position and it has no authority and it has no duties and it has nothing of what we see today. Zero. It's nowhere to be found in scripture. The only way you can come up with this theology is if you superimpose man-made tradition onto scripture, but we got to let scripture dilute man-made tradition because a pastor is also not an elder. (laughs) The Greek word for pastor is poimenas. The Greek word for elder is presbyteros. They're not the same thing. There were unbelieving elders who followed Jesus around in the gospels trying to trap him in his words. An elder is not a pastor. That's nowhere to be found in scripture. You would have to superimpose the Reformation onto 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, and also onto Ephesians in order to come up with that theology. But if you just unglue that overlap of the Reformation from Scripture, you can see that pastors are not elders. The word pastor is a spiritual gift. It has nothing to do with somebody teaching or preaching. A pastor is never even called a preacher. A pastor is never even called a minister. (laughs) But you hear these things, you're like, "Eh, eh, eh," because your conscience is trained by man-made tradition, which causes error. And Jesus said, the truth will set you free. So if you are hearing truth, the error is either going to keep you in bondage in your mind, or you're going to be liberated And you're going to understand, okay, they just don't understand. (laughs) So I'm going to learn how to either set healthy boundaries to protect myself from this person, or I'm going to learn how to be in a relationship with them, understanding that they don't understand, and I'm going to love them. All right. So that's what my ministry is about, to help you dilute man-made tradition, be yourself. You can also be yourself because you're a new creation, and to express your righteousness in an organic way by resting. All of this comes down to Jesus. Once you understand who Jesus is, you can understand these things in greater ways. What he's done at the cross, what he's done at the resurrection, and what he wants to do through you. Okay? For you, to you, through you. (laughs) All right. All right. So 
If you want to contact me, please do not message me on social media. Go to my website, go over to the contact page, and I'll be glad to interact with you there. And while you're on my website, check it out. I got a lot of free resources. Go to the topics page if you're searching for any particular Bible verse that you're scared of or topic that you're struggling with. I've probably written about it and you can read that for free. And be sure to sign up for the free daily devotional. So I send out a free devotional early every morning and sign up for that. All right, just go to the free newsletter tab. So let's get to today's Walk Talk. Where did seminaries come from? Seminaries, seminaries, seminaries. Now, when we get into the topic of seminary, I, first of all, before I begin, <laughs> I love you. I'm not, I'm not trying to cut the legs out from under what you have done. So if you've gone to seminary and you have a seminary degree, okay, great. I'm not saying that is a bad thing, but I'm also not saying it is a good thing. <laughs> so let me just renew your mind with some vanilla theology, which is we're not going either way. We're staying right here in the, in the middle. Okay. So I'm not attacking people who have seminary degrees. So when you hear this, you could take it personally, or you could even take it personally for somebody who has a seminary degree. I don't want that. I want you to enjoy freedom. I want you to enjoy rest. I want you to enjoy your identity, who you are. Worry-free. I don't want you to feel like you've done something wrong. I don't want you to feel like you've done something right. <laughs> I just want you to understand who you are. So if you have a seminary degree, okay, great. I'm not, I'm not saying it was worthless. It's not worthless. But... <laughs> Nobody in the Bible had a seminary degree. How could they? It wasn't even compiled yet. Think about it. Nobody in the Bible had training in biblical exegesis. How could they? It wasn't even compiled into a nice, neat, canonized book. Nobody had a seminary degree. Nobody had training in biblical theology. Nobody had training in biblical exegesis. <laughs> okay, so you got the Old Covenant, you got the Torah, you got the Psalms, you got the Proverbs. Yes, that was already written before Jesus. Then Jesus happened. Okay, and then you got the book of Acts. Acts wasn't written yet. So nobody could study Acts. <laughs> and then you got the epistles. The epistles wasn't written yet. They were being written by people. So they had no theology in the epistles. They had no theology in the New Testament. They had no theology in Revelation. Revelation wasn't written until John was exiled on the island of Patmos. Okay, so we were putting the chicken before the egg. Okay, the egg happened. So seminary degrees don't determine anything. I know that's difficult. I, I know that's difficult to hear for some. For some people, they hear this like, this is great. <laughs> when we go to the Bible, what do we see in regard to who Jesus chose originally? Was it anybody who had theological training? No. Matter of fact, he called them people, and I'm not saying these are. this is you. Because you could very well just be a believer who struggles with legalism. You could very well be a believer who struggles with finding your identity and knowing everything. You could very well be a believer and you just, you've got all of these pockets of error in your mind and you hear this and it upsets you or it causes you anxiety. That's not my goal. Okay, but the reality is Jesus did not choose anybody who was formally educated. He called them, and again, for emphasis, this is not saying this is you. This is talking about an unbeliever. He called them snakes. He called them whitewashed tombs. He said they were full of dead bones and everything unclean. He said it would have been better if they were never born. He said a lot of bad things about who? Those who looked to their knowledge of the Jewish scripture, scriptures 
for righteousness. So who did he choose? Did he choose people who were formerly trained? No, he chose fishermen. He chose uh, the most educated person who followed Jesus was a tax collector. And back then, a tax collector was seen on the same level as what we see today as, you know, maybe a, a heroin-addicted prostitute. He was the worst of the worst, a tax collector. But he was, and it's Matthew, okay? Great name, by the way. <laughs> but he chose Matthew as the most educated. And he didn't choose him because of his education, he chose him because he saw something special in him. He saw the fact that this person is going to believe me. Believe. Those who were theologically trained were not chosen by Jesus because they did not believe him. They never did the will of the Father, which is to believe in the one whom he has sent. Instead, they look to their behavior. They look to their works. They look to their supposed gifts. They look to their supposed miracles. But they never did the will of the Father, which is to believe. But yet they knew a lot. They knew a lot. How dare you correct me? I know the scriptures. As a matter of fact, the scribes, could literally, and I know what the word literally means. So many people use the word literally, metaphorically. I'm saying literally as in actually. He did not choose the scribes and they could literally transcribe or handwrite or rewrite everything written in the book of the law and the Psalms and the Proverbs. They could rewrite it all. They could sit down and write it out. Did he choose the scribes? No. Did he choose the Pharisees? No, they knew all of the religious <laughs> stuff. Did he choose them? No. And again, I just, today, I just want to, I always, I know this hurts people's feelings and I don't want that. So I'm going to step over here to the side again and say, if you are theologically trained, if you have a seminary degree, I'm not saying that's you. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm saying that is no more than information. All right. So when we go to scripture and we look to who was chosen by Jesus, it was simpletons, fishermen, um, a tax collector, a treasurer, but nobody with formal education. So where did this idea of you got to be formally educated, you got to have theological training formal theological training in order to be able to teach or preach or speak where did this come from if it's not in the bible and jesus did not pick those people where why how and this is not going to be shocking to you if you've listened to my past walk talks or watched my past walk talks it is because of man-made tradition <laughs> tradition of men has caused this and because people are born into it and daddy did it granddad did it great 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 dad granddad did it. all of my past so-and-so did it this way so it's the truth we have what we have it's man-made tradition and jesus warned against tradition paul warned against tradition Matter of fact, Paul said, don't become captive to tradition of men. But yet we think that because everybody's, today's Sunday, and there are many people in church right now, it's 9 a.m., 9.15, many people think that they are going to a building to hear somebody say something, and because they are on stage with a degree that they have access to God due to that knowledge. But yet there is an entire letter in the Bible written to a group of Christians who had 
the Gnostics sneak in among them. And what was the Gnostics' obsession? Knowledge. Knowledge. This is why Paul told the Corinthians, I wished to know nothing among you except for Christ and Christ crucified. That was his goal. I just want, I just want to tell you about Jesus. Did Paul have a seminary degree? No. Oh, he was trained by Gargamel. Blah, blah. Yeah, I get it. He, he was trained in the law. That's how he could preach the new covenant so boldly. But he did not have a seminary degree. I understand that Paul was smart. <laughs> Had money. Okay? But he did not have a seminary degree. And Paul wrote most of the letters where people are claiming to have seminary degrees. Therefore, they have this certificate on their wall. Therefore, they have the power to teach you about God. Yet scripture tells us nobody will teach you. They will all know him from the least to the greatest. Why? The spirit. The Holy Spirit in you. Again, there's nothing wrong with education, but when you find your identity in knowing everything and thinking that because you're super intelligent or super book smart or university trained, and I'm going to talk about that here shortly as well because that's where it all started, that you somehow have the power and authority to teach people about Jesus or tell people about Jesus, that is nowhere to be found in the scriptures. Nowhere. The matter of fact, the only section of scripture where, where we see our gatherings described, and this is the only section, 1 Corinthians 11 through 14. Is there anybody with a seminary degree preaching, teaching, meeting anybody in front of them? at a church building, having authority, none of that. It is, there is none of what we see today in 1 Corinthians 11 through 14, none of it. As a matter of fact, group participation is encouraged in chapter 14. We are a body with many members. Nobody's in charge. The word pastor is not even in that letter. Nobody preaches. The word preach in scripture simply means to speak. There was a donkey who preached. But because of the Reformation and also because of the early church fathers, we see what we see today in regard to our gatherings. Because what we see today is nowhere in the Bible. Look at this. Look at this. <laughs> Check this out. Even 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus have no indication of a church gathering. Matter of fact, it doesn't even say Timothy was a pastor. It doesn't even say Titus was a pastor. But we think that because of Calvinism, because of what John Calvin taught. The word pastor is not in 1 Timothy. The, first, the word pastor is not in 2 Timothy. The, the word pastor is not in Titus. But we think that because of man-made tradition. The Reformation wants you to think that these are pastoral letters. That way they can emphasize the education of a pastor. We got three letters here, which give us instruction on how to be pastors. No, 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 no. Timothy was an evangelist, not a pastor. And what we see today as a pastor began with Ignatius of Antioch. And then was finalized through the Reformation. It's not in the Bible. The reformers need to be reformed with actual scripture. Did some good things happen through the Reformation? Yes. Did some good things happen through Constantine and the early church fathers? Yes. But lots of error did too. All right. <laughs> Timothy was half Jew, half Greek. Never said he was a pastor. Titus was a Greek citizen turned Christian, never said he was a pastor. But we think what we think today, that they were pastors and that they were formerly educated and that they had a seminary degree, 
because of man-made tradition. Because before this, before this whole idea of you have to have education in order to be able to teach anybody, and you have to be a male, <laughs> it did not exist. There's an isolated incident where women are interrupting their husbands in the middle of this gathering and Paul says, ask your questions at home. This is not Paul saying every woman needs to sit down, shut up and be baby makers. No, not at all. As a matter of fact, right before this, he said a woman should prophesy. What does the word prophesy mean? To speak. You know, we see prophesying as future telling. But Hebrews chapter 1 says, in the past, God spoke through the prophets. Now that Christ is here, he speaks through his son. So you thinking you're saying something and telling the future is error, but you saying something and prophesying about Jesus is truth. So when Paul was telling them how to have their gatherings, he was saying, have some order. Okay, don't just interrupt everybody while everybody's talking. Have some manners. And women, yes, you can prophesy. Talk about Jesus. So this idea of a seminary degree being formally educated did not begin until, get this, the 16th century. The 16th century is when this education, in order to prove you can talk about God, happened. Before this, that didn't happen. The 16th century. <laughs> okay. So the first seminary did not even get established until in the late 16th century. And here's the history behind the first seminary being established. So when the reformers broke off from the Catholic, from the Catholic church and they put the pastor in charge of everybody and they said, you cannot know God unless you hear a pastor preach the word once a week that pastor had to have the ability to refute everything that came against him because the pastor is in charge the pastor is the top dog but yet jesus says it will not be like this among you in matthew chapter 20 you will not lord over one another you're all brothers and sisters if you want to be great you got to serve but today what we see today is pastor gets served by the congregation you know it is a protestant which just means non-catholic clergy which clergy means professional christian and the word clergy is not even in scripture there is no clergy there are no professional christians started with the early church fathers and then it was a spinoff with the reformers and when the reformers broke off from the catholic church and put the pastors in charge of everything and said, you have to come here, you have to hear preaching from a pastor on a Sunday or you cannot know God, they began to train those pastors under John Calvin. So John Calvin had places of study. Now, John Calvin struggled with lots of error, but yet he started places of study. So what happens when you go to a place of study, university, a school, a college, you learn and while you are learning, you get trained. Therefore, you eventually have your mind renewed to what that place is teaching. This happened with the error of Calvinism. So many people ask me, what do you believe about Calvinism? Calvinism is a man's last name and then ism. Is that not red flag galore? <laughs> like, imagine, you know, in my household, we have what's called Macmillanisms. Okay, it's something that our family does. Just little, little sayings or stuff that we do, facial expressions, we call them Macmillanisms. Imagine if I had places of study, you can go learn Macmillanism. I even tell people in my walk talks all the time, I don't know everything. I might be wrong. Some ministries, you'll never hear that. Ever. And the reason why I say that is I don't want to be known by what I know. I want to be known by my love. 
Because if I am known by what I know, then I'm going to be correcting everybody or I'm going to become pompous. <laughs> like I know it all. There are certain things I will not change my mind on in regard to what Christ accomplished. But I don't have to get on here and say, I know everything. Come to me. I'm a master's of linguistics and I have a seminary degree and I'm a doctor and this and this and this. I don't need that. I can just be me. Take it, leave it, follow, unfollow. I don't give a rip. I would like for you to stay. Don't get me wrong. But if I woke up every day attempting to grow my following or worried about who is taking what I'm saying personally, well, I would live in misery. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in trying to get you to focus on what Jesus accomplished. I'm interested in getting you focused on who you now are because you've trusted in Jesus. I want to build up your confidence in what Christ has done. I don't need a seminary degree for that. <laughs> Nobody does. And this error began with the Protestants. So when the Protestants started training people under Calvinism, they also started training people at universities. So they began to train pastors at universities. This was before the first seminary. So the Protestants broke off from the Catholics. They said, nope, the Eucharist is wrong. The priest is, your, your definition of priest is wrong. Jesus will not be re-sacrificed, but pastor's still in charge. Pastor still has to be the one to administer sacraments. You can't know the Lord unless you come here and you hear pastor preach. Pastor, 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 pastor basically replaced Jesus. And then Jesus is down here somewhere. That's no different than Catholicism. Protestantism, some people say, oh, you're a Protestant. No, I'm not. I'm not a Catholic. I'm not a Protestant. I'm neither. You don't have to put a label on somebody. You could just say you're a believer. You're a Christian. You're a child of God. But people want to categorize you based on theology. And they can't do that with me. And it upsets them. But Protestantism is just Catholicism with a different cap on it. That's all it is. It is still not focused on Jesus. Am I saying everybody in Catholicism is not saved? Absolutely not. I'm not saying that. Am I saying everybody who is of the Protestant persuasion is not saved? I'm not saying that either. You are not saved by any type of error you struggle with. You are saved by grace through faith once in your life. What have you believed about Jesus? You believed him, you're saved. Now, you're going to have to deal with whatever else comes along with that. Whether you're struggling while you're involved with a cult, such as Jehovah's Witness or Mormonism or whatever else, or Catholicism and everything that comes along with that, where you have this quasi-priesthood, the Eucharist of re-sacrificing Jesus, and scripture is clear, he lives forever. Or if you want to deal with the Protestant persuasion, where everything is revolved around pastor. Pastor has his face on a billboard with a bunch of people in front of him. Or pastor says this, or my pastor that, or well, what pastor? Oh, that's pastor so-and-so. I love that place. Oh, that's pastor so-and-so. I hate that place. Pastor, 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 pastor. It's all about pastor. Oh, he's a good pastor. He's a terrible pastor. Oh, his theology is wrong. Oh, he's prosperity. Oh, he's... Who cares about all that ripping crap? Jesus. That's what matters. But our modern church is so pastor-centric. Jesus is ignored. He's nothing more than a mascot. Started in the 16th century with the Reformation. You know, when Ignatius of Antioch started the bishop, one bishop rule, it continued on. They were still called pastors, but when the reformers took over, they made this person a king. And it has replaced the king. It is about hearing the opinion of one person once a week at a building in order to know God. That is nowhere in the Bible. Not one place. You know God because he lives in you. Jesus even said this, I will send the comforter and he will teach you all things and he will remind you of everything I have said. 
a lot of times you'll go and you'll hear a pastor preach and the entire time the spirit within you is like, no, that's not right. No, it's better than that. No, that's not true about you. No, I'm not going to forgive you again. No, you don't have to ask me for what I've already given you. Nope, that's wrong. No, you are obedient. No, you're not doing anything to be obedient. Nope, um, you don't have to trade that to get blessings. I've already blessed you with every spiritual blessing. So all of these things that the Holy Spirit teaches you, and you might not even be able to put it in words like that, but you're just like, oh, that's not right. Oh, that's not right. Oh, that's not right. Oh, that's not right. That is the Holy Spirit in you being grieved by this message. Coming from somebody who believes because they have a seminary degree or are university trained that they can teach you. But this began with the Protestants. It began in the 16th century. So when the Protestants broke off from the Catholics, they started to train them under Calvinism. Under Calvinism. You know, another quick side note, the Puritans were Calvinists. And who came over here? <laughs> who came over here and established this company? This company basically is a company this country the puritans that <laughs> you can blame the puritans for feeling scolded for not getting up on sunday and going to church because that's nowhere in the bible you can blame the puritans who were calvinists who said a theologically trained man is a gift to the church matter of fact they said pastor is the mouth of god you can blame them they came over here and established this country set up all of these different churches that are supposed to be freedom of religion? Oh, no, no. <laughs> this is Protestantism established by the Puritans. And the Puritans were Calvinists. And we think because it's old, it's true. It's not true. It's where is this information coming from? Who trained you up in this? Is this based on the truth of the gospel? The Puritans were in severe error. Most of our churches that are being attended today are being taught based on some type of spin-off of Puritanism. All right, let's get back on track here. All right, um, so Protestants broke off from the Catholics, 16th century. It was called the Reformation. They said they were they were reforming the church. <laughs> um, they, and the Puritans said we're purifying the church. Oh, okay. Uh, just stop it, McMillan. Stop being so sarcastic. I <laughs> uh, got a lot of trauma. It's a lot of stirred up religious trauma. Um, so they broke off, started Protestantism. The Protestants began being trained at universities. There was no seminary for Protestants. So at the seminaries, they were being trained. Now, here's the thing. Get this. This is where a lot of people think because you know a lot of the Bible, you're a great man of God. Or because you know a lot of the Bible and because you can quote scripture verbatim, you're a great man of God. You can teach, you can preach, you can be a leader. It started because when the Protestant pastors were trained at university, they were not trained in oration. Like the Greek sophists who were great orators. Oh, yes. Oh, now you got that today. But back then when this first started, it wasn't like that. The Protestant pastors were only trained in biblical exegesis and biblical theology. They weren't trained on how to talk. They weren't trained on how to stand up and speak. And because they were trained on exegesis and theology, and exegesis is just critical exposition of every single verse. Think about that for a minute. <laughs> Critical exposition of every single word. And then you got biblical theology. And their theology was not based on the new covenant. It was the covenant mixture theology. So you got pastors at this time who would give two and three hour sermons because they're breaking down every single word of scripture. Even me saying this, you're like, what's wrong with that? You think that because of that. <laughs> I'm not against you reading every word, but I'm saying, do I get on here and just read the Bible to you? No, but I talk about the Bible the whole time. But according to the Protestant pastors who were university trained, all they did was break down every single word and every single verse and every single chapter. And it was, oh my God, let's get this over with. Hours and hours and hours. And to make it worse, 
they did not base this on the new covenant, which is the covenant that Christ brought in at the cross. Covenant mixture theology. The first covenant mixture theologian, theologian who was Cyprian of Carthage, early church father, he started this. And then the Protestants continued it, going back into the Judaic scriptures, taking the stuff that was put to death because of what Christ did at the cross, and then applying it to the body of Christ. The Catholics did it, and then the Protestants did it. But now, the Protestant pastor had great power, prestige, and attention in the community because they were university trained. The pastors were the most educated people among the Protestant community. Now, as a way to fire back at this, the Catholics started doing the same thing. The priests, before, before the Protestants did this, the priests, only about a fourth had any formal university training. But after this, the priests were required to go through rigorous training. Rigorous training. And through this training, at the end of this training, you would be ordained. Oh, a big how to do. Oh, look at, look at that. Not to mention that they were put on government payroll and all these other things, which had the trappings of a professional. This idea of having more knowledge in order to be able to prove that you should be in charge started in the 16th century with the reformers, with the pastors, and then the priests with the Catholics copied that. And then here's what, here's what the Catholics did. The Catholics started, and I'm not picking on Catholics. I love people who are, you know, in any particular faith. There's lots of lovely Catholic people. I'm just talking about the error of the man-made tradition. If you're Catholic, I love you. We're the same, but I got to talk about history, okay? And I'm not insulting you. I'm talking about history, all right? And I have a lot of people who follow my ministry because they've come out of Catholicism. They know exactly what I'm talking about. And I didn't even grow up in Catholicism, but I talk about it. I grew up in Protestantism. But the Catholic, here's what the Catholics did. Because the, pre, because the pastors were so well-spoken and trained through the universities and could just quote scripture verbatim and really back up their points, they started doing the same thing with universities. And then they started what's called seminary. So the first seminary was started by the Catholics in the late 16th century. So where did seminaries come from? The Catholics in the late 16th century. They started it. And it was a rebuttal, a way to fight back against the well-educated, trained Protestants. The pastors. You know, there's so many pastors. Hmm, calm down. I'm super triggered right now. There's so many. And I probably could. Pre <laughs> I just glitched there. I probably can preach about this, which is just speak. Because my grandfather on my mom's side was like this. He knew it all. And how dare you question his knowledge? Oh, you will get the hand after you get the book. So I know how this goes. But he had no love. There was no love coming from my grandfather on that side. Instead, I feared him in great ways. I was afraid. Oh, it's good to be afraid. Is it? Is it? Perfect love casts out all fear. That's what scripture teaches me. Because fear has to do with punishment. But Jesus was already punished. So this idea of being formally educated, having knowledge, being the smartest person in the building, that's why you get to be up front and teach. Start it with the pastors after the Reformation and then continued on with the Catholic persuasion with the priests. And then the Catholics start it 
the first seminary. The first, so the first seminary, the first Catholic seminary started in the 16th century with the Catholics. Okay, and then you got Protestant seminaries. The first Protestant seminary, which is teaching non-Catholic stuff, which is basically teaching Calvinism, <laughs> began in the late... 18th century, early in the 19th century. So late 1700s, early 1800s. It's cloudy as to when the official, the official first Protestant seminary began, but that is the note, the, the timeline in that time. Now, some want to say, some will say that Andover Seminary in Massachusetts is the first seminary. Some will say that, but there are arguments against that. Either way, it was about the late 18th late 1700s, early 18th er, if I can talk. Blah, 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 blah. Started late 1700s, early 1800s. I want to say it's 1789, between 1789 and like 1809. That's when the first Protestant seminary began. All right, now at these seminaries, <laughs> once you've got your seminary, you were then allowed to teach. You were then allowed to be a pastor. You then had your seminary degree. Therefore, you could put your application in at churches or you could start your own church because it's America and you can do whatever you want religion-wise. Where's that in the Bible? It's nowhere in the Bible. This is man-made tradition. And as a matter of fact, this had gotten so bad. And what I mean by so bad is this had gotten so out of control in regard to people needing to have an education in order to be able to talk about God. By the mid-1800s, I think it was 1860, there was already 60 seminaries in America. Country wasn't even 100 years old yet. Over 60 seminaries. What do you need 60 seminaries for? So that I can be pastor, so that I can dominate, so that I can mm, don't do it. <laughs> They're not all like that. There are some pastors who fully understand the new covenant. They love people. And, you know, they do what they do because they want to help people understand what Christ has done through the cross and the resurrection and who they are and what the new covenant is. They don't find their identity and knowledge. They don't have just don't do it. <laughs> oh, see, I'm controlling my triggers and I'm verbalizing my triggers and you guys get to see that. Oh, but that's where it began. You know, Paul said when he wrote to the, when he wrote to the Corinthians, God shows the foolish to confound the wise. He chose the foolish to confound the wise. I want to repeat this because so many pastors who find their identity in that position, in that degree, hanging on their wall. There are some people who make TikToks and as they make the TikTok, their head's down here so that you can see their seminary degree on their wall as they say their TikTok. That way you know what they're saying is the truth because I got the seminary degree back here. But that's nowhere to be found in Scripture because Scripture teaches us God chose the foolish to confound the wise. And if you are so theologically trained, you are so wise above everybody else, God doesn't choose that. He chooses the foolish people. Those who are claiming they don't know everything. <laughs> Call me a fool. <laughs> I, that's fine. I don't care. Because I don't have to find my identity in wisdom. Paul also said this when he wrote to the Corinthians. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher? And keep in mind, the philosophers, the Greek sophists who gave sermons, were still in full effect at this time. Where are they? Where's the wise? Where's the teacher of the law? Another translation says, where's the scribe? And it says scribe because the scribe could transcribe the law. All 613, not just 10. And then where's the philosopher? Where's the person who says, oh, yes, 
Listen to me. I am excellent in oration. I am very good at voice inflection. You know, I stammer. I stutter. I mix up stuff all the time. I would not have been a good sophist. I would not have been a good philosopher, <laughs> a good orator. But I'm still going to be myself. And if I was attempting to be a philosopher, it is blatantly clear. I've tried it. I've tried, oh, that just, just be as, as calm and everything. You know, I've tried being somebody that I'm not. Whether it's knowing freaking everything or being the best. You could just make all your bullet points. Never say, uh, no, never stammer. Never have any spots where you mess up. You know, that's why I like doing these live, because I can just take it, put it on my podcast, I can just take it, put it on YouTube, and I don't have to worry about editing out every single uh, or e, uh, or, oh, you breathe too hard right there, oh, just listen to it or don't listen to it, I'm not trying to be wise, I'm not trying to be a teacher of the law, I'm not trying to be a philosopher, I am trying to be the foolish that God chose. And I'm not trying to be foolish, but according to those things, I'm foolish. Oh, look what Matt McMillan, he hates the church. He always talks bad about it. I don't talk bad about any of it. I talk about human tradition, and then I talk about what Scripture says, and tradition hates it. They want to be wise. They want to be teachers of the law. They want to mix the covenant. They want to be a great philosopher. They want to be everything except for foolish. And me... You can call me a fool. <laughs> because God chooses the foolish. As a matter of fact, Paul went on to say, God was pleased with the foolishness preached because people believed. Christ is seen as foolish. Oh, you can't just be forgiven. You got to do your part. You got to do your part and then God does his part. Oh, you you only stay forgiven as you if you repent. Okay, so I'm only forgiven until I sin again. Oh no, that's that's intentional sins. Okay, so how do I know if this was intentional or not? Well, you'll know. Oh, crap. All dung. <laughs> We have to get to the point of understanding God is not looking for a bunch of smart people. He's looking for branches who will allow him to live through them, personalities and all. Mistakes and all. <laughs> Weird accents and all. Triggers and all. There are so many pastors who protect their image. It is... Oh, what's the best word? <laughs> it's no way to live. Just imagine it. Imagine if you have a group of people, big or small... And they are looking to you for every single answer and how you live, how you respond, how you everything. How in the world could you enjoy your life? How in the world could you be able to raise your kids in an authentic way? How in the world could you have an argument with your spouse and then get up on stage and preach like nothing even happened? How in the world could you know that this worship leader is having an affair with your spouse, but yet you got to get up here and teach on how to love one another? How in the world could you live your life? How in the world could you live your life if education, what you know, everything that is in your brain is supposed to define what you know in your heart? What if you forget some of your theology? What if you forget where a Bible verse is? <laughs> what if you mess up on a Bible verse? You wouldn't be wise. Oh, you got that wrong, Pastor. Oh, I got you right here. Oh, Bible says, the scriptures say, do not add to, do not take away. And you didn't say that one quite, quite right. What version are you reading? What version? Oh, that's why. You're using that version. <laughs> 
<laughs> See what we do? And then we're right back to biblical exegesis, which began with the Protestant movement and the Protestant pastors being trained in biblical exposition, biblical exegesis at universities. You know, and they were trained at Harvard and they were trained at Yale and other locations. Harvard and Yale, and this was before they had their own seminaries, Harvard and Yale gave them the authority to say, I am theologically trained at university so I can teach you about God. Yet now, Harvard and Yale, they don't allow that. Their theology is what, Unitarianism? You can't get trained in Christianity at Harvard and Yale. Back then you could, though. So, <laughs> so where did seminaries come from? Not from the Bible. Seminaries started with the Catholics, and it was retribution to the university-trained Protestant pastors in order to have a place where you could basically go to boot camp in order to be a priest. It continues on today. And then once you got through that, then you would be ordained with priesthood. But yet, nobody's in, ordained in Scripture. The word ordain is not even in the New Testament. A point is, ordination began with Constantine. It's from Roman imperialism. Roman imperialism would ordain government officials. It was a big ceremony. They would stand up, they would say some stuff, and then boom, you're in power. The same thing happened with the early church because of Constantine's love of the Roman lifestyle and then mixing it in with the church. Nobody is ordained in scripture. There are people appointed, there are elders appointed, but when we look at all of those scriptures, that is not somebody being picked out of a crowd. That is the early church coming back into town after establishing a group. And then from that group, they would pick elders because that person loved others. And then they would be celebrated. It was a way to honor them. As a matter of fact, Paul told Timothy, don't have favorites. When you honor elders, don't have favorites. But yet we want to say Elders are ordained by God. Pastors are ordained by God. Priests are ordained by God. They are not. Nowhere in the Bible does that happen. But tradition would tell you otherwise. The Bible teaches you the opposite of that. That we are a group. That we are a body. That there are no favorites. That if you get into any type of eldership... As a mean of financial gain, you are of depraved mind. But yet we... Calm down. <sighs> but yet, <laughs> we have people who don't even believe in God, but they see becoming a pastor allows them to become rich and famous. And I'm not, being against, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being rich and famous, but I'm saying if that person is becoming a pastor as a non-believer... In the attempt to become rich and famous, Scripture teaches against that. There's nothing wrong with being famous. There's nothing wrong with having a lot of money. But what are you doing with both? And have you gotten that as an unbeliever as you talk about God? That's what you really need to talk about. <sighs> you know... The most educated people in the Gospels were the Pharisees. You got the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the lawyers, the scribes. They were the most educated. Why? Because they studied the scriptures. And here's what Jesus said to them in John chapter 5. You search the scriptures because in the scriptures, in them, you think that you have life. Yet you never come to me to have life. And I am the very one that those scriptures are testifying about. How often do we see this today? You will hear somebody talk about everything that they have in regard to their education but you never hear them talk about Jesus. And again, I'm not saying everybody, but if the shoe fits, wear it. 
their degree, their title, their doctorate, their whatever, don't hear anything about Jesus. They won't come to him to have life. They search the scriptures because they think the more that they know, the more that they study. If I can just read a chapter a day, if I could just know the Old Testament, the New Testament, a psalm and a proverb a day, just one chapter from each one a day, if I could just study this, if I could just put this on my mirror, if I could just put this above the sink, then I could study this every day. Then I could know God. No, you already know God. Yeah, but I, you already know God. You have life. Christ is your life. And you have him. He is here. He is not here. Of course he is here and here. But your heart trains your brain. Your heart trains your mind. Because you have a new heart. You don't have a wicked, sinful, deceitful heart. All of those passages are describing unbelievers or people who lived according to the law, who were attempting to follow the law in order to prove who they were. That's not you. The prophet Ezekiel prophesied what was going to happen. God would remove your heart and give you a new heart. So now you do have a good heart. You have Christ in here. He is written on your heart. The author of Hebrews tells us that. God's laws is written on your heart and mind. Not law. 613 commandments are not written on your heart and mind. Who Christ is, everything about him, his character, he is a vine. You are a branch. Vine and a branch. And if you want to know what's authentic, look at the fruit of the Spirit. That's how you know that you're expressing him. You're not waking up every day with a goal of achieving the fruit of the Spirit. You, you don't make a goal to grow something from you which comes organically as a branch. You rest. You abide. Do you ever see a branch? Oh, I'm going to produce love today. I did really good on three of the nine. No, I'm going to do really good on five of the nine. No, I'm going to do... And then it is just a goal. Oh, I did good on that one. Today I'm going to control my mouth. Today I'm going to make amends. But no, I messed up again. Do you see? It's a works-based... Righteousness focused on the fruit, which you got to understand Christ in you bears that fruit, not you. And it definitely doesn't come from what you know, but you have life. You have God. You have the Holy Spirit. He is the one who teaches you all things. If, if being formally educated, if having a seminary degree or being trained in Bible school, and I'm going to talk about that coming up too determines who you are in your life and your happiness. How in the world did they function before the first seminary was established in the late 16th century? How did they know God? How did they teach? How did they... The same way humanity always has from the garden, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ... You know God because of God's Spirit within you. And when you trust in Jesus, you receive His Spirit in full. You don't get a little dose. You don't get a second portion. It's one and done. He lives in you. He's never going away. Oh, but I'm sinning. Yep, that's why the cross had to happen. It's a lot of sinning. Yep, that's why the cross had to happen. So you're going to have to deal with <laughs> your mistakes and your immaturities in a much different reason than to think the Holy Spirit's going to leave you because he's not. The only way he would leave you if his Christ came back down out of heaven, went back in time, got back up on the cross, sucked all his blood back in him, got off the cross, unlived his life, went back into Mary, then went back up to the heaven. Then, yeah, you're sinning too much. You're done for. But no, that's not going to happen. It's finished. And now there is a promise which was solidified at the cross between the Father and the Son to never leave you, to never forsake you. And you cannot leave him either. You are born again. Birth is final. That's why Jesus told an extremely educated man, don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. Well, how can I go back in my mother's womb? You're not getting it, Nicodemus. He was looking through his education. He was looking through his knowledge. He was looking through his behavior. But Jesus is saying, you got to believe.
and then you'll be reborn. So I hope this has encouraged you today. I hope it has helped you to refocus on Jesus and also understand the history of seminaries, <laughs> where they came from, why we see what we see today. And I uh, hope it's brought you a peace of mind. So you should always tell the truth about yourself. What's the truth? You're righteous. You're holy. You're blameless. You're a new creation. You're a child of God. There's nothing wrong with you. And you are awesome. So always tell the truth about yourself. And always be yourself. Love y'all. Thanks so much for joining me on this Walk Talk. Please be sure to rate and review this podcast and share it with others. Subscribe right now so you don't miss out on any new content. To be encouraged daily, you can find me on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. If you want even more information on my ministry or to check out my books, go to www.mattmcmillan.com.